Good morning, beloved. Good morning. It's good to be together to worship our God and King. Um, so, when I was in college, I, I was uh, dating my wife, and we tried to take some classes together as it worked out. And one of the classes we took together was a science class, because um, just know I was a really bad student, and so I tended to try to get away with uh, the least amount of work I could get away with. And so um, I knew from my degree track that I needed one science class with the lab. And so we got to knock this out, science class with the lab. And so we're looking through the course catalog, and it was biology with a lab. I was like, okay, I took biology as a freshman in high school. How hard can this be? So we signed up for it. We're going to knock this out. And we showed up the night of the class, and we get in there, and it became pretty apparent early on that this is a little different. Everybody in here is wearing scrubs, and we're not. Um, but that's okay. It's a science class with a lab, and they let us in here. I mean, goodness. So uh, we're going around. Teacher goes through the syllabus and everything, and then it's like, you know, first, first class. And, like, it's a small class, which was also weird. Um, but going around the room, like, introduce yourself. What are your hopes and dreams and everything? And, like, person after person is like, I'm going to go through med school, and I'm going to cure cancer, and, like, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, um, but it became really obvious that we were a little different in the room. And so the teacher then, no joke, was like, wait, are you, are you going to be a nurse, a doctor? No. You should not be in this class. <laughs> like, is this a science class with a lab? <laughs> yes. Like, sounds good to me. I've got to do one of these. Like, no, 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 no. Like, you don't want to be in this class. This is going to be way too difficult. You do not belong in this room. And so, like, okay, read you loud and clear. We won't come back, okay? I'll, like, I'll set up an appointment with an advisor. We'll find a different class and all this stuff. And she's like, no, like, you need to go. Like, she made us get up and leave the room in front of everyone. Like, we don't belong there. I was like, this is, this is rough. Um, what made it even worse, the kicker was, we knew a girl in that class, and after we left, the professor then went on to say, you know, you, actually, every test is a group test. So you can work together and figure it out. I'm like, that sounds beautiful. <laughs> Why did she kick us out? Oh, man. But here's the thing. All of us know the tension, the, the, the hurt of not belonging. Like we know the, the yearning that we all have to belong somewhere. We know the hurt of exile. We know what it's like to not belong somewhere. And so we walk into every room and we're immediately thinking, do I belong here? Like, Let's, I'll, I'll make it awkward and kind of break the surface there. Like, this may be your first week at Beloved, and you may be thinking, like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, we're always, any environment that we step into, we're asking the question, like, is this a place where I belong? Am I in the right place? And sometimes we feel, that's why there's a phrase, I feel out of place. Like, but you're in the place, but you feel out of place. Like, do I belong and so we got to carry that tension into the text today. If you will, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, as we kick off this four-week series, kind of looking at who we are as Beloved Church. And so if you're newer to Beloved Church, um, we actually, our first three weeks when we planted in 2019, we walked through our vision language of belong, be known, be loved. We're going to do that. We're going to walk through that. This is who we are as Beloved and then we're going to end this sermon series with just like a fun, beautiful day of celebrating what God is doing in and through us um, together on a Sunday morning in just a few weeks. So as we come to this text today, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 9. But before we read that, I want you to know what the introduction to this epistle or this letter says. 
Um, Peter is writing, that's why it's called First Peter. And so Peter is writing this letter, and this is what he said in his introduction. He said, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, so that's how we know who wrote this. And then he says, to he's addressing, he says, to those chosen living as exiles. To those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so here's the thing, we as humans know what it is to live in exile. We are exiles. This is actually a continual theme throughout scripture. That you go back to creation, that God created everything good. But then we messed it up. The serpent deceived us and we became culpable. We took the fruit that we were not supposed to take. We decided in that moment, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that I actually want the right to decide what is good and bad. And doesn't that so resonate with our culture, our postmodern obsession with self-autonomy and truth is relative. Like what's true for you is true for you and true for me is true for me. We want to be able to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And we're still fighting the same thing, right? But you go back to that moment where they decided, I want to be in the position that only God should be in, to decide for myself. And it leads to this curse as we fall. We have fallen from a right relationship with God, from what he created us to be, and he created us good, and now we're no longer good. And so we fall in that, and as a result, we are exiled. There's a tree of life that we can live forever. We could be in the very presence of God who is always life-giving. And so God says, no, you have to leave. And so we are exiled. We're banished from the garden. And so we move east out of the garden and exile. And as we go out of the garden heading east, you hear about the first two children. As Adam and Eve give birth to Cain and Abel, and there comes a point when they have a difference and their sacrifices, their offerings to God. And we won't go through all the rabbit hole, but they're, they're actually kind of back at the door, which is this beautiful idea and this tension we want back in the garden. And as God has grace and favor for one and not for the other, it creates rage. And Cain rises up and he kills his brother. And then there's this further curse as Cain is told, you must move on. Exiled further. And he's taken away from community. And he gets a babble as humanity amasses and says, let's make a name for ourselves. Instead of going out and subduing the earth as we've been told to, let's make a name for ourselves together here. We'll decide. And what does God do? He comes down and confuses their languages and spreads them out. Further exile. It's exile after exile after exile. The people of God come into being and they find themselves that Joseph is sold into slavery. He's in Egypt and then the, the next Pharaoh doesn't know who the people of God are, the Jews, and so they're here in 400 years of oppression. And they're in Egyptian exile. And then they come back to the promised land, they have the law, and so they know there's blessing and there's curse depending on what you do in obedience to this law, this covenant relationship with Yahweh, the one true God. And as predicted, they turn away over and over and over. And so the curse comes and the curse culminates in exile. As the Assyrians come in, and lay siege and take them away into exile. And then later, the Babylonians come in and take them away into exile. It's just exile after exile after exile. And still today, we know this. As we live with this yearning, this longing to belong, and yet we feel like exiles. Every human knows that, but we as Christians still know that. We can still be honest about that. And in fact, there's part of that that we can understand that we as Christians are exiles knowing this tension. As Paul said in Philippians 3.20, he said, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not home. 
We are citizens of heaven. And so we live here in exile as Peter opened the book to his chosen exiles, dispersed. And so let's read the text for today together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Acknowledging the tension of being in exile, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are exiles because this is not home. And yet, the beauty of what Peter is saying to us, what the Spirit of God is saying to us in this is, it's not home, but you belong. Believer, follower of Jesus, those who have put their faith in him alone for salvation, you belong. There is a place for you. You belong. And I love the language he uses in that. So today, I want to just walk through the language that he uses in this and say, hey, this is who you are. And so we start with, he says, you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race means that we are actually part of a community. There is a community in which we belong. He says you're a chosen race. And here's the thing about community. You can either try to build it or you can belong to it. Have you thought about that? We all want community. There's two ways that you can go about being in community. You can try to build it yourself or you can just belong to it. And here's the thing about trying to build it. It's gonna bring out our fears and it leans on our own abilities. When you try to build community, it relies on your strength, your ability, and it's just gonna bring out the fears. I know that, don't you? Because it's on me, and so I know that I'm not going to measure up, and this leads us to failure. It leads us to anger. It leads to heartache. Or perhaps for a season you're successful, but it's a short-lived success. And that leads us to arrogance and pride. And so building community cannot be the answer and what he's saying here, a chosen race, means that you were chosen, implying another party was involved. It was not us. So instead of building community, belong to gospel community. You have to see what Jesus has built and then step into that. I know that you were chosen to belong. And that is beautiful. It's not something that you can build. It's something you can belong to. And so maybe we find so much of our tensions in trying to find the right church and, and plug in and all these things because we're trying to actually build a community instead of just saying, I belong to this community because Jesus has built it and he's invited me into it. And so if we could change the way that we think about community, we stop trying to build something and instead say, I wanna belong to something. He said he is building his church. So I can stop trying to build something and say, what are you building, Jesus? And I wanna belong to that. Thank you for choosing me to be part of that. The next thing he says is a royal priesthood. He calls us a royal priesthood. Priests, from their introduction in the Old Testament, their job, their, their work, was actually to mediate the blessings of God to people. And not just the Jews, but to the nations. There was always this open invitation that you're to mediate the blessings of God to the people he created. There's work to be done. And yet, we know all the way back to the original exile, as we're kicked out of Eden and God pronounces the curse that comes with our fall, one of the major things that we know happened in that is he says, the ground is gonna fight back by the sweat of your brow. You're gonna toil and labor and the ground is gonna fight back. In other words, you're gonna find your work to be so futile. 
You're gonna obsess over working, and yet what you obsess over doing and trying to accomplish, it's always gonna fight back, and it's just gonna seem so meaningless and futile. Do you know that? Do you live in that? No matter how hard I work, no matter how much I accomplish, I'm like, ugh, what is this? I actually shared this with multiple people this past week, just because it affects me so much. But I, I, I have an occupation to where I meet with a lot of people and I talk and, and, we, and we try to go through scripture and I love that. I so enjoy that. And I see the beauty of like these moments where like, oh, I see you at work, God. Oh, thank you for that. But often I go home and I wonder, what did I do? There's no like tangible, like there was no aha moment today. There was like, just felt like I just, I just kept going. But on the way to work, I actually crossed the, the school they're building across the street. And as they're driving by, um, one day it was all flat. There was just like concrete slab. I drove to work seeing a flat field. I came home and that was standing. Did you see it? Like there were three-story walls constructed. I was like, could you imagine having that job? <laughs> like, what'd you do today? I changed the skyline of a city. What'd you do? because we find our work to be so futile so often and this this is why like i um i noticed this past week my kids were watching a movie you know do a family movie and all this stuff and and they're watching this movie and it's like a cartoon but it's like supposed to be somewhat scary and and there's kids are on this grand adventure and i'm sitting there watching them watch it as they're like kind of gripped in it and my daughter especially she's like on the verge of like this might be terrifying but she loves it i don't know but as they're, as they're just enthralled with this, I'm thinking like, would they do this? I don't think they would. Like if they were put into the scenario of this movie, they'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> like, good decision, that was wise. Let's, let's leave. But, but I just wonder, like, they're so into it. And if you have kids or you've been around kids, you know, there's other weird thing. They love to watch videos of other kids playing with toys. And you're like, you have that toy. Go play with it. Go play with the toy. You have the toy. What is this? What is this? Or watching other people play video games. Could we at least watch the real thing? I don't know. That's weird. Like, it really puzzled me for a long time, but um, Jay Stringer is a a therapist. He actually helped me, I think, grasp a little of what's going on. It's no different than how much we love to watch sports, how much we love to watch violent movies, and how much we love to watch pornographic material. That's uncomfortable. And you know why? Because work can seem so futile. And so if I can watch someone else do something, if I can watch that athlete who's trained his entire life or her entire life, and they have a strict diet, and they make all these sacrifices, they work so hard so they can be so good at this, then I get the reward without all the cost. And when I try to engage in that, the violent movie where, oh, what adventure, and what danger, and I can enjoy that, but I'm not actually in danger. That's nice. Or the sexually illicit material, that, oh, the enjoyment of an orgasm, but without the peril of the romantic pursuit and relational intimacy that we know goes sideways so often. We want to avoid the futility of work and yet still have the reward, but it is not reality. And what he's saying in this text, you're a royal priesthood, is you actually have meaningful work to do. 
There's real work to do. It's not meaningless. You get to mediate the blessings of God to creation. You were called into this to tell the world the good news, to tell the world who God is. You get to do that, and there's an everlasting reward. The return is real. It's not futile. It's not just this chasing after wind. It's real. You can invest in something that will actually pay dividends for eternity to come. That's the beauty of this community that we belong to, a royal priesthood. And he calls us a holy nation. You are a holy nation. You go back to that story of Cain, and he kills his brother. You know the famous, am I my brother's keeper? You know, what happened? I don't know. His blood is crying out to me. And as he's cursed, he's violated community, and now he loses community. And that's the typical paradigm of what we know evil to do, is evil will separate, it will destroy, it drives us out. And yet he says, you are a holy nation. When evil typically will separate and drive us away, he says, I have made you holy, and that actually brings you together as a nation. That evil will separate, but I've made you holy and brought you together. Nation is this ethnos idea. It's a people. It's a people. It's not actually a place. It's a people. Belonging is not about geography. It's about relationship. And you belong because of a relationship, not a place. You belong because of a relationship with the God who is holy and says, I have made you holy. That the righteousness of Jesus has been given to us on the cross as he took our sin on himself and he canceled that record of debt that stood against us. He paid it in full. We've been bought. And now we are holy and he says, that will bring you together. You are a holy nation. And he says, you're a people for his possession. A people for his possession. And so I have to ask, how does someone rightfully possess someone or something? Let's just start with a thing. How can someone rightly possess something? I think of a few things. There's probably more, but the three things that I thought of is they could create it. If you create something, you rightly possess that. Or if you purchase it, you buy it, then you rightly possess that. Or if you receive it, like it was given to you, then you rightly possess that. So let's think about this. Colossians 1.16, for everything was created by him, meaning Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You can rightly possess something if you create it. Who created us? Our Lord. So he rightly possesses us, a people for his own possession, or purchase it, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. He purchased us, and so he rightly possesses us, or you could receive it. Jesus praying in John 17, 6 says, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me and they have kept your word. He has received us. We are his possession. And the beauty of that, to be a people for his possession, to be God's, to belong to the Lord, and that is who we are. This is how you can know you belong, because he has received us, he has purchased us, and he has created us. In every way, we are his this is what the Apostle Paul had in mind as he said in Romans 14, he said, if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We are his. And so I want you to see this. A people for his possession. Please don't miss this. It comes down to this. 
He saved not a person, but a people. You are not meant to live in isolation in your faith. You should belong to a church. You should belong to the people of God because God did not just save individual persons. He saved a people collectively, his bride, the church. He saved a people. And so be together with this people. This is where we belong. Together with our Lord, he gave us a salvation that would bring us back into communion with God himself. And so we're together with him, but then together, we are together with him. Meaning together as the people of God, we are together with our Lord. So be together. This is um, really at the heart of what church means. Church is this translation of the, of the word ecclesia. And ecclesia translated literally means called out assembly or congregation. You hear the language of that, called out the chosen ones. Called out, but we come together. Assembly or gathering means we come together. It's all about us coming together. This is what we do together. The people of God. This is who we are, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Together. You must see the beautiful gift of what the church is. To be in community with God vertically, but then each other horizontally, together as his people. Why would he do that? Why did he want us to be this? Why did he make us such? And Peter tells us why. So that you may proclaim the praises. That we may proclaim the praises. This is what we do together. This is who we are and what we do. We proclaim the praises. The vision language of our church, belong, be known, be loved. It's intentional and it's intentionally an invitation. That it's forever an invitation. You can belong, you can be known, you can be loved. We must invite others in. This is what Jesus has called us to in the Great Commission as he's about to ascend back the cloud rider from Daniel 7. He's going back to stand before the Ancient of Days, ascending to this throne where he will sit down until all of his enemies are made his footstool. And as, as he's about to ascend back to the heavens, Jesus said, go therefore, because he has all the power and all authority that's been given to him, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. You're baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. But we do this. We bring others in. We invite them in. Say, so you can belong. You can be known. You can be loved because this is what God has done for me. That God says, I belong here. And this is how he chose me. He chose me. He's made me have a purpose as a royal priest. He's given me work that matters. I'm his possession as a holy nation brought together. Evil drives us apart, but he's brought us together and now I am his and I get to proclaim his praises. That I will tell the world. Proclaiming the praises is another way of saying we worship. And that's what we were all created to do. And Isaiah, um, God says, those people who are called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Big existential question, just why? Why anything? And God says, I created you for my glory. That's why. And that doesn't answer every question that we have now, but one day I pray that he will make it clear. But we do have that as an anthem over us. He made us for his glory. To live for his glory, to worship him. This is why Jesus told the woman at the well, the Father is seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. He wants to be worshipped. He deserves to be worshipped. 
And we can see that's actually for our good. He is deserving of all our adoration, all of our affection. He is glorious and majestic and there's no one like him. And so we get to proclaim his praises. We get to worship God and invite others into worshiping God because discipleship is necessary to see more and more worship of God on this planet. So we must be inviting others in. We must be discipling each other in this. Continually proclaiming the praises. Proclaiming the praises of who? The one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so I want you to track with me. Imagine for a moment that all of life is like a house. If you're into Sherlock, I love that show. You know, Mind Castle, he kind of goes inward and like he's got all these crazy things stored up in his Mind Castle. You imagine all of life is like a big house. And you've got all these rooms, there's the kitchen, there's the living room, the bathroom, like all these different rooms. And if life is like a house, our culture right now is pushing us forever inward. You hear things like, follow your heart. You have people who are terrified to give any kind of definition of who they are, what their identity is, because well, how do I even know? Like, I haven't opened all the doors in my house. So there may, there may be something deep inside of me in the recesses like, that's hidden, and if I just unlock that, if I find that, then that will actually free me to know and express who I am. Culture is just constantly saying, go inward. You be you, all these things. Just find who you are deep inside of you. I mean, how could you know and narrowly define who you are if you've not explored every room? So as you explore this house, and we also see this in current therapy. It's very common. Therapy is a lot about like, you have pain, you have trauma, you have these different things that you have suppressed, and they're in these dark corners. They're in these locked rooms. And so we need to walk in there. We need to shine light. We need to, we need to see these things and then work through them. And this is really popular in today's day and age. And before I say anything else, I want you to know, I love professional therapy. I fully support it, if it's good. But like, do not hear me saying that if you go to a counselor, it is wrong. In fact, many of you, we have multiple people who are therapists. I'm not saying that therapy is bad or wrong. But consider this. Um, Dr. Hans Strupp, looking back on more than 50 years of research on psychotherapy, which is the term um, that Freud stumbled upon and actually coined the talking cure. But psychotherapy, a lot of what modern counseling is that you're going to talk, you're going to share things, you're going to ask questions, answer questions, that kind of stuff. Um, this is what he said. After 50 years looking back on this Research of psychotherapy he said, the simple, uncontrovertible truth, it seems to me, is that if you are, and then he lists a variety of disorders and struggles, chances are that you will find you will feel better if you talk to someone you trust. And that's what most counseling is. And again, there is absolutely a time for professional therapy. But this is interesting, because in the mid-1950s, Hans Azik provided evidence that people outside of psychotherapy improved as much as people in psychotherapy so long as they were in genuine, trusting community. That the people with the professionals were recovering and healing at the same rate as people outside of the realm of influence of the professionals if they were in genuine, connecting communities. That's amazing. He had some issues with his research that was a little shaky, but it still rocked the boat and said, 
There's something to this. If people can just connect on a deeper level, if they can trust each other, have meaningful conversation, care about each other, or in theological words, love each other, if they will love each other, then it's actually critical to our well-being, holistically, that we are in community. Um, Dr. Larry Crabb greatly influenced my thoughts on this. Um, he wrote a book, and, he, and he basically his whole thesis is, we just need to connect. And this is a guy writing it later in his life after more than 25 years of professional experience as a licensed therapist, world-renowned, greatly respected. And he says, I have to rethink everything I've done. Because I think what's actually just most important is that people just connect. If people just connect, if they would love each other. Um, he says this, he says, maybe the center of Christian community is connecting with a few. Maybe the center of Christian community is connecting with a few. To have people that you know, I belong here together with you. And it's not just a, a crowd that gathers and listens to one person talk for 35 minutes on a Sunday morning, but to be in genuine community, to really connect with each other. What if that's at the heart of how God created us? And then he would use all this language in scripture that says, together, together, come together. Don't forsake getting together. Some of you are in the habit of getting away from that. No, come together. And all the more as things get more and more difficult, as you see the day drawing near, get together, come together, connect more and more with each other. And so you go back to that idea of life as a house. And Peter gives us a new paradigm for gospel community. He's called us out of darkness into lights. And so live in the light. Live in the light. There's a time to bring light into darkness. That's absolutely necessary. But we only do that by bringing the light of the world, Jesus himself, and then the church, as he calls us a light, we bring that into the dark places. You let Jesus show up in those locked rooms, in those dark corners, and you say, Jesus is here as light to bring healing and hope. Jesus entered the darkness, according to John 1, as light that the darkness could not overcome. And Jesus goes with us into this. But we have this cultural obsession with, like, go look into the dark places. And the, the danger that I want to call you out of is don't obsess over that. You cannot fixate on the darkness. You fixate on the light. And the light drives out the darkness. Um, Nietzsche, famous philosopher, he said, if you gaze long enough into an abyss, the abyss will gaze back into you. The danger is as we stare into the darkness and all of the hurts and all of those things that suddenly that can become who I am. And that's all I'm known for. That's all that I care about. I obsess over my hurt and all these things when the way of Jesus is, no, 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 no. Jesus is the healer and he comes with you into this darkness and he drives it out. And that doesn't mean that it's as simple as like, oh, well, Jesus healed us and it's done. I wish it was because I have so many things I'm still asking for healing for but our gaze is set on Jesus, not on the darkness. And so I would ask you, and this is who we are as a church, and will you step into it? If we think of this house, we are a community where we say, I belong, and I belong together. And so as we walk through this house, and you have locked rooms, and you have dark corners, I'm gonna hold your hand, and when you're tempted to go back there, I'm gonna say, we're only going if Jesus is going. And the whole time that I'm walking over there with you with my hand on yours, I'm just gonna say, Jesus, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Can we ask Jesus to heal this? What does Jesus say about this? And I'm gonna say, more often than not, over and over and over, I say, hey, 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 guys, look at me, look at me. Let's turn around. 
Because Jesus is in that living room and he wants to talk to you. So let's go talk to Jesus. That's the community that we are. That's who we want to be. That is who we will be. As a people of God and faith saying, no, forever, let's march onward to Jesus. Let's follow him and his language. We're going to Jesus. This is where we belong. With a God who says, you must suffer and die with me. But why? So that you can rise with me. So that you can know resurrection power. That it didn't terminate at a cross. That our sin was atoned for on the cross, but then he was raised to life so that we could have life with him forevermore. To be in communion with God. To know and enjoy him, even in the hardships of life. To know that that power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active in me. And so what am I going to obsess over? That power. That God who is that glorious. And what do I want you to obsess over? That God. That one. So keep your eyes on him. Love him. See the gospel, the beauty of a God who would save us and say, I want you. You're mine. I made you. I paid for you. I received you. You are mine. And you belong to me. And you belong together. This is where we belong together with our Lord and his people. As again, church, ecclesia, as called out assembly or gathered ones, it's to be together in connections to be together. And so as I conclude, I say our hope is that you find beloved church to be your family. We are family. This is who we are. The family of God, the people of God, we hope that you find this to be your home, a place where you can belong, be known and be loved. And all of that is made possible because of the gospel that God has done that for us. It says I love you, knowing you through and through. I love you, and you belong. So we can extend that invitation to each other, and this is who we are, but it's not going to happen if you limit it to just coming to a Sunday morning gathering. This is not the church as a whole. This is one beautiful component of it. To gather together with the saints corporately once a week is beautiful, it's godly, it's biblical, but this is not the end. We are the church, the people, we are the church all of our life. In pursuit of him, and so I want to ask you to step further in. I want to ask you to connect more. I want you to be together more. I want you to step in. Maybe you need to join a home group. We're going to launch home groups in a few weeks. And we're going to have quite a few of them available so that you can hopefully find one that works with your schedule. Connect with some people you resonate with. Will you step into a home group? Will you serve with a ministry team? We need some more help. Will you serve? I find that's sounds like an awful thing, like serving means it's just taxing. No, actually, we want you to serve in a way that it actually fills you. Will you gain a discipline practicing partner? Someone to talk about the discipline of the month with every week. Will you participate in an equipping class? Ladies Bible study is about to kick off. The elders are putting together more classes. Will you step into one of those? Or maybe you just need to begin with coming to gospel partnership, to formally covenant together and say, yeah, I'm in. Like Paul said, I want to be a partner in the gospel. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for the glory of God. I'm going to do that together with you. Will you pray with me? God, I love you so, so much because you love us so, so much. So as we come to you this day, offering praises as the people that you have called together, and you've called your own, 
We thank you that you brought us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. So would you make us a people marked by love? Would you make us a people who continually invite others in to belong and to be known and be loved, to just constantly herald your gospel? This is what you have done for us. I love you so much. I praise you because you are worthy of all of our praises. Bless this church. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Get ready to participate in communion this morning. Um, We're going to be taking of it in a way that we haven't done in over two years. Um, And we're excited to be able to do this again and bring this back. So just give you a little idea what this is going to look like in case you haven't uh, participated with us in this way. Is There are two tables um, on each side up here. Pastor Josh will be over here. Pastor Kevin will be over here. And there will be pieces of bread around a bowl of juice. And what you're going to do is uh, pick up a piece of the bread, dip it in the bowl of juice, and partake of it um, when you are ready. We also do have the individual cups up here as well, um, if you feel that that is how you prefer to take it as well. But as we get ready to participate in communion and we have this, Kevin just talked about this idea of together. It's actually a beautiful time that we get to come back and, and partake of communion in this way, this way that is as the church. That, that is what we're remembering, is his, Christ's work on the cross, that on the day that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you. And he said, as often as you eat and drink, you eat the bread and you drink from the cup to do so in remembrance of him. So would you do that this morning as the body, as Christ's church here and across this world, remembering his work for us? Examine your heart for any unforgiven, unconfessed sin that you would freely confess it to him as scripture instructs us to do. If you have unreconciled um, conflict in your life with friends or family, would you give that to him and would you work even right now to begin to resolve that? And if you find yourself in a spot where you do not know if you're ready to partake It is okay. There have been weeks where I have withheld because my heart needed to know Christ and to get in right standing with him. But if you are ready, um, we would ask that as you come up, take a piece of the bread, you'll dip it in the bowl. You can partake of it there or take it back, whatever you would prefer. So as you are ready, you may come up to the tables on the side. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace poured out for many. So Lord, as we take this special time to commune with you as your body, we thank you for your sacrifice, for all that you've done. We love you. It's your name that we pray. Amen.